0: Last week we began a journey through the book of Second Peter and uh, I want to give you a, a, just a little bit of an outline on this second chapter today because it's a, a long passage and it could be a little bit confusing. Although it really doesn't have to be, the outline is very simple. So last week we looked at Peter saying that there is a path that you can know that you're headed home, that you're in the right direction. If you're doing these eight things, said Peter, you can know that you are a child of the king and you are headed home to what he called the divine nature. Now in the second, the second chapter then, we look at first chapter said, here's the path. The second chapter said, now here's a path that's going to lead to destruction. And here are the characteristics of those that are going to lead you to destruction, who he calls false teachers and false prophets. And so the outline is very simple. The first, about three and a half verses say, here are four characteristics of a false teacher. And then there's a really long section dedicated to the destruction of those who would be false teachers. Then it goes back, the third step, another characteristic. And then the last section is more destruction. So it's a very simple outline as we read through this passage, 2 Peter 2. Characteristics of a false teacher, the destruction of false teachers, characteristic of a false teacher, and the judgment and destruction. So may we read God's word together, Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That's the end of the first section. Their judgment from all so long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, For what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under the punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-will, they do not tremble when the When they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes. Reveling in their deception as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right, they have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Second section, now the third. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm from whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape, "...from the ones who live in, in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved." Final section. "...for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Does it appear to you that the apostle Peter is angry? Surely he is. Let us pray together. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house to worship, to sing mighty songs of praise, and to open your holy scriptures. Holy Father, we ask that you would forgive us of any sin, that you would help us to turn away from any failure that we have committed against you. And we are so very thankful to know that you cleanse us that you were faithful to forgive. We ask, Father, so that we might be pleasing to you. We ask so that there would be no barrier between us. We hunger for your presence, for your wisdom, for more of you, for the knowledge of you. So we pray humbly, Father, that you would open our eyes to your word, that you would protect us and guide our steps, So that we might continue to bless your heart, to love one another, and to become more like your son, Jesus. We pray these things humbly in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our study in the book of 2 Peter and a second passage that is a hard teaching. Now, I don't think this is a difficult passage to understand. But what I do find difficult is just the subject matter, and that is false teachers and false prophets. And I find that difficult because over the centuries there's been much abuse, even in kind of mainline denominations, about who's a false teacher and who isn't. And sometimes it's more about just selfish ambition, and sometimes the nonsense and the finger pointing and the chest beating are enough for any of us to just want to stay away from the whole topic. And I know that I feel that way sometimes. It seems like we are so ready within the Christian faith to put up walls, to put up barriers. But this isn't what Peter's talking about. This isn't just being divisive over anything. In fact, this is critically important because we want to know the full scripture. We want to know the full testimony. And the scripture tells us that prior to Jesus returning for his church, that there will be many false teachers. And there will be many that will mislead perhaps the majority of the Christian church away in what's called the great apostasy, the great falling away. And the scriptures say that these false teachers, they will look impressive and they'll sound impressive and they'll play on our sinful and selfish desires and that they will lead many, if not most, of the Christian church down a path to destruction. And this will result in some of the saddest words recorded in the scriptures spoken by Jesus himself in Matthew 7 and 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what I find troubling about this, these most pitied of people believe that they were doing the right thing and were led and terribly deceived. And so it's important for us to know, to be prepared about the false teachers, that I believe surround us right now. Who I believe are preaching in some of what we call the largest churches in America today. And so we're thankful for Peter and the scriptures that provide us five characteristics of a false teacher or a false faith. Let's begin in verse 1. 2 Peter one says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as they were also... Just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master. Focus in on that last little bit. A false teacher will deny Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. For instance, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus is the only Son of God. Mormons believed that Satan was one of the sons of God, as was Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believed that Jesus was not co-equal with God. He was not part of the Trinity, but he was the Archangel Michael, one of several archangels. And I just want to stop and say, listen now, it's very natural and perhaps even godly to desire to love Everyone. To be friends with everyone, to include everyone, and be careful to be divisive for no significant reason. But this is no insignificant issue. We should be clear that these are not our brothers and sisters in the same faith. Likewise, anyone who says something today that sounds wise and seems inclusive, something like, Jesus is one expression of God's love but there are many ways to God, is a liar and a false teacher. The Unitarian Church. I have a, a lifelong friend who is a member of the Unitarian Church, and she said some of these very things to me, and it breaks my heart. Because in John 14:6 Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And listen here, you you can't call Jesus a good teacher, an expression of God's love, and at the same time call him a liar. You just can't do both of those things. He said he was the single, unique path to God. It is either so or it is not so. We did not equivocate on the subject. And I could say much more about this, but I'll leave it with this. I think what... Peter is saying, I think what we need to hear is anyone who diminishes or minimizes the person of Jesus Christ as the only Son of God and the Savior of the world is a false teacher. The second characteristic Peter offers is in the same verse, 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly... Introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master. I want to focus in on two key words, heresies and secretly. Heresies are false teachings that are not found in the 66 books of the Bible. Listen, the scriptures, the Bible, must be the bedrock of truth in our lives. And to the scriptures we may delete or add nothing. Nothing. We do not elevate our personal experience or our feelings above the scriptures. I've had people say, when I've opened this scripture, I've tried to teach faithfully, I'm very careful and not perfect, but I try to be very careful. And they say, Well, I feel, listen, our feelings have very little to do with it. Because the scripture says that the heart is more deceitful. Than all else, and is desperately sick. In other words, my feelings can be deceitful. And if you're like me, we can probably justify any behavior that we want, and so we need a cornerstone. We need a bedrock of truth, and the scriptures provide it. But a false teacher will add or subtract from the scriptures. The Book of Mormon is considered by the Church of the Latter-day Saints to be equally inspired as the 66 books that we know as the Bible. Although these two documents do not agree with each other, Jehovah Witnesses have made small changes to the Scriptures that make a huge difference. The New World Translation of the Jehovah Witnesses says this, John 1, in the beginning the Word was and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. The point of Peter's passage is to be on guard. And what they identify as the Scripture is not the Scripture. It is not even a good translation. It's a terrible translation. It says that Jesus was not the son of God, but a son, one of many, and he isn't even a capital G God. And Peter says, be on guard. And I want to say again, we aren't trying to be divisive, we're not trying to beat our chest, but we must be on guard against false teachers that can mislead people to destruction. The second word in that verse is heresies. Excuse me, secretly. And Peter says that, you know, some are going to be taught secretly, not a teaching for everyone. For instance, the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith taught that God was once a mortal man. Did you know that? He said, and I'm quoting directly from his writings, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. This is a great what? Say it, secret. I'm going to tell you, said Joseph Smith, how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I refute that idea and take away the veil. He said, you have got to learn how to be God yourselves. His words from History of the Church, volume six, Chapter 4, page 305 and 306. You have got to learn how to be gods yourselves. This is a lie from the pit of hell that is as old as the Scriptures. Genesis 3-4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Satan is clever, but he uses the same ploys over and over again probably because they are effective. Several years ago, Mitt Romney was running for president. I don't know if he's a good fella or not a good fella. I don't know if he's a good politician. I don't know. But I do remember this, that some people began to say in the Christian community, they said, Well, it troubles me that he's a Mormon. And almost immediately, you know, everyone jumped on those folks and said, Listen, it's just a little bit of a, a difference between your beliefs. You shouldn't leave the man alone. He's a he's no. Whether he's a good politician, I I don't know. But I do know this, and I'm not being divisive for no reason, we don't worship the same God. And I'm not trying to be just up on the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the principles that we want to look at so that we can be on guard. Several years ago, when I was still in the Army, I had a friend, a fellow lieutenant colonel. And he was a a good friend. He was a Mormon. And by the way, I'm not saying that we need to ostracize them. We want to keep connected with anybody all the time. We want to make friends. We want to build bridges. But this lieutenant colonel, he came to me. He was a a dear friend, and he said to me, he said, you know, I want to give you something that means a great deal to me, and he gave me the Book of Mormon. And And I accepted it, and I thanked him for it because at least he had passion enough to share his faith. By the way, did you know that the number one growing faith in the United States is what? Mormonism. It's not Baptists. It's the Mormons who are spreading this, and they're growing faster than any other denomination. My friend said, this means a great deal to me. I want you to have it. Why don't you look at it, and then we can talk about it. Well, I knew a little bit about what it said already, and I said, I've read some. I said, I just want to ask you a question. Do you believe that when you die that you will be the God of your own universe? And he looked at me very surprised, and he paused, and he was clearly struggling how to answer, and he said, yes, I believe that, but we don't teach everybody that right away, and I'm surprised that you know about it. There it is. There's the word that Peter used, secretly. You see, there's no, there's no secrets. My Savior said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but we'll have the light of life. No secrets, no levels of Christianity. We are all held to the same standard. And that is the 66 books of the scripture. The third characteristic found in verse two, many will follow their sensuality, their sensuality teaching. In other words, what's in it for me? How am I going to be blessed? And and, and what kind of screams at me Today in our culture is something called the prosperity gospel or the prosperity theology. Have you ever heard of that before? The prosperity gospel is a religious doctrine that financial blessing is the will of God for Christians. And that faith and positive speech and donations to a Christian ministry will increase one's material wealth. So if you believe enough, if you give enough, and you have enough positive thoughts, then God is bound to bless you with wealth and prosperity. As if God was your personal ATM machine. And no wonder that Peter's a little upset. Now this is a bit complicated because I think our Heavenly Father... Like any good father desires to bless his children. And the truth is that most of us are more blessed than, you know, this group of, of people is more blessed than the vast majority of the world. Amen? I mean, if you have uh, uh, clean water to drink, if you have three meals, if you have electricity, if you have a home and you have a nation to live in that's relatively secure and peaceful, then you're more blessed than probably 80% of the world. We're already blessed. And our Father desires to bless every area of of our life. I I believe that. He desires to bless you. I just don't think it's his priority. I think his priority for every believer is this, is to transform you into the character and to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his mission statement, if I could put it in today's language. That's That's his desire for you. Philippians says this, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to work into you so that when people see you, they're going to see Jesus start to shine through you. And compared to that, physical blessings, well, that's the very best thing that could ever happen to us. And the truth is, I've got no problem with a pastor preaching about the blessings of God. But if that is his or her only sermon preached 52 weeks of the year, then it is a sensual and false and misleading teacher. And I believe that millions are being misled today in our country. Just name it and claim it, says some teachers today. But Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after he, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And isn't that a very different message than the prosperity gospel? And what it means to be a Christ follower? And we choose the words of Jesus, amen? The fourth characteristic is found in verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Peter says that false teachers will lie to you for their own personal gain. Now there are passages in the scripture, and Christian teachers have a right to financial support, says the scriptures, but this is clearly beyond that. And it's a bit hard to qualify, and I don't want to be legalistic about how much is too much, but perhaps we could just say that if a teacher or a pastor or a leader is living well beyond, extravagantly beyond those that they lead, there's an indication that they might be a false teacher. And if they are living in such an extravagant and arrogant and expensive way while their people are living in financial bondage, Then they are a false teacher. Jesus said to them, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Eleven of the twelve apostles gave their, their life with no possessions. The apostle Paul says church history was walked into a forest and beheaded with nothing more than what was on his back. And again, this is a very different image of what it means to be a Christ follower. And we must always choose the example of Jesus. The final characteristic is in verse 17. And this would be kind of funny if it was a different topic. Verse 17 says, these are springs without water and mists driven by air. Springs without water. But What does that mean? What's a spring without water just a bunch of hot air, isn't it? But a spring with water is one that gives life, and so will a faithful teacher. What is a mist driven by a storm? We were out yesterday, and uh, I was out in the garage and um, doing some pottery, you know. And it started to it started to get cloudy, and, and then I hear the thunder in the distance, and I go, Ah, oh, great, we're going to get some rain, going to get some more rain. Nothing. A little while later, you know, the clouds are starting to come in again. And they go, oh, great, now it's really certainly going to rain. Nothing. You know, it's the promise of blessing, says Peter, without blessing. A mist driven by storm. In other words, it looks like it's going to be something, but it turns out. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree, the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And what is the teacher producing in his own life and by the teacher's teaching what are they producing in those that follow? And so as we read 2nd Peter today, it's impossible not to hear the anger that seems to burn within Verse 17, these are the springs without water and mist driven by storm for whom the black darkness has been reser- reserved. We ask ourselves, why was so Peter so angry and the warning of the Holy Spirit so intense? Because false leaders lead to destruction. And the words of Jesus, should ring in our ears. Depart from me. I never knew you. Why are so angry? Because they dishonor God and they elevate themselves. Because they take advantage of the poor and the weak out of arrogance and greed. And so, brothers and sisters, the Scriptures say that we are to be on guard which means that we have a great responsibility. Listen to me now. This has been kind of a teaching without a challenge. Here's the challenge. We who are Baptists are passionate about what? About being part of the family that every person here today is a priest before God. That not one of you needs me to come before your heavenly father. We call it the priesthood of the believer and we're passionate about it. But here's the challenge. It's not enough for us just to be able to speak our mind at a committee meeting. That's not the priesthood of the believer. And when it comes right down to it, Peter says, be on guard. And the best way for you to be on guard is for you to know the Scriptures. And could I just say that if your only experience, worship experience with God is come Sunday morning, then you are wide open for deception. This is not usually a growth experience this is a worship experience and so that's why Sunday school is so important that's why daily devotionals are so important just you and the holy spirit that's why wednesday nights and sunday nights who they are meetings they they seem to get less and less but we need to be there together be on guard how do you know We hold the scriptures up as Baptists. We elevate them above all things. We say, This is our cornerstone. We call it the inerrant word of God. We get in great arguments about is it the inerrant word of God? Listen, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter if they're inerrant or not if you don't know them. Peter says, Be on guard which means that we must know the Scriptures, that we must be in contact with the Holy Spirit, and we must know what a false teacher looks like and what he doesn't. Because then we can flip back to chapter one and those eight principles. If you're doing those things, you know you're on the right path. You know you're headed home. Would you pray with me, please? Holy and gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We remember the great cost, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And so we come humbly asking that you would open our eyes and protect us, that you would help us to do those things that are a blessing to your heart, And give us the wisdom to turn away from any false teaching. We have a desire to be pleasing to you. So guide our steps in accordance with your holy word and your blessed spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.